Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, a trauma-informed spiritual mentor, certified meditation teacher, and human design expert. I'm empowering empaths three times a week in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. This is season five, episode 30, how to consciously break up with a narcissist with our guest today, Jessica Knight. If I had somebody when I was married say, this is what's going on, like, and here are the signs, like healthy relationships will not leave you driving around the block and parking, listening to an audiobook just because that's the only time you're going to get peace. If somebody had said that, that is not good, then my ears would have perked up a bit because I know what abuse is. I went through it. And so when I started noticing the threads, but having such a strong trauma bond and not feeling like I could leave, I put myself so far deep into the knowledge of it. And just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional help. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know. I'm just so confused. I love him, but I don't know if I can live without him or in this toxic cycle. I know. I felt the same way. You will get stronger every day with time, and you will see you are free from their toxic cycle, and it'll feel so good. You know what would help? No. What? I think talking to a professional therapist could really help. Well, therapy, uh, I, I don't know. I, I will just be judged and told that I'm crazy. Are you sure? Well, in my experience, that was not the case. I was not judged at all. And matter of fact, she was able to show me that I was actually being abused and that I wasn't going crazy and that all of my doubts and fears were validated. And if you've had a bad experience with the therapist before, You know, there is a thing called therapist shopping and BetterHelp has a number of therapists and it's convenient and online. You can just meet with them in your pajamas in your home. Oh, really? Are they expensive? As a matter of fact, it's professional, it's affordable, it's convenient and effective. You can say you can join over 3.7 million people who've decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp today. And you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash empath. Thank you, my friend. I feel better already. I'm glad we could meet up. Me too. The link is in the show notes. I know that it can be hard to disconnect and break free from the narcissist. And then on top of it, as a highly sensitive person, how do you do it consciously without deepening your own soul and heart and getting into the stuck patterns of vengeance and all of that. Jessica has her MA, CPCC, and ICC and is a certified life coach through the Coaches Training Institute and a fellow narcissist survivor herself. Jessica's received training in narcissistic and emotional abuse from the Post-Traumatic Growth Academy and is a certified narcissistic abuse specialist. Jessica works with clients virtually and serves women all over the world. 
And you can find her on Instagram at Emotional Abuse Coach. Her website is emotionalabusecoach.com. And we talked about that and more. We talked about the different attachment styles and more of like empowering tips for you on how to break up from the narcissist. She knows just as well as I do that their tactics can be extremely infuriating, painful, soul-sucking, and really understanding the level of emotional abuse in a relationship is important. So I just wanted to read to you a quote from one of her posts on Instagram. She makes some beautiful content here and even on TikTok. She says, stop asking why they keep doing it and start asking why you keep allowing it. And this is it. She's helping you just as I am regaining your power back to stop believing those lies. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation. Hello, Jessica. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you for being here and sharing your experience and your expertise on how to break up with a narcissist. Yeah, such a complex topic, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> it is. It also, I mean, we don't mean to giggle, but I think when you're on the other side, you're like, yes, we. whoever needs to hear this, it's going to be for your benefit. So we're excited and giggling, but we also know it's ironic. That yeah. Know it's not easy. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. And I think that like now I can bring humor into it if I reflect and if I bring topics up to people. But when I was in it, I absolutely did not have any humor at all. So just kind of looking back and being able to kind of see where I was and what I've learned is, is it, it's like, all right, I'm just not that person anymore who was in that relationship. Yeah. And it's so inspiring because those who are really struggling right now feel like they're never going to laugh about this. Like this is the worst thing ever, right? Well, we've yeah. both been there. Yeah. Yes. So there is hope. There is laughter. One day you will get there. And we're helping you a little bit by little bit with all these these episodes. Yeah. So before we kind of hear a bit about your story, I wanted to ask you, what is the most difficult part of leaving the narcissist? And that might also entail a bit. You can weave in your story if you like as well. I think there's a lot of difficult parts. I think I think for everybody it's different because it all probably relates to your upbringing, your financial situation, your if there's children involved. And so I'll answer it based on something that I noticed come up across the board because it is much harder I think when there are when there are kids or a child. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the biggest things is the is the blame, the self-blame, the self it's either I got myself here or what if I'm seeing it wrong or but he's so nice to this person. I'm saying he because it was a he in my story, but obviously this can go both ways. And I'll probably use he throughout the episode. And it's that inner that inner dialogue, that inner blame that keeps us in this little cycle over and over again. Because if you're with a narcissist, you're constantly going through the cycle of abuse. You're going from being in this honeymoon stage for five minutes to five months, five years, and then goes right back to tensions rising, right back. And I know for me, it would happen throughout a day. Sometimes it would happen in longer stretches. And I always thought I was crazy. And so 
the blame, the self-blame that I just need to get over this, I just need to internalize it, was def- is definitely, I think, comes up across the board. And obviously, when there's kids involved, it turns into, well, what am I doing to the kid? Like, I should just stay. I should stay into this certain age. But mm. I always encourage my clients to think about the parent that they are showing up as, especially if they're in that that, that cycle. So that that is, I think, one of the the top things is blame. But like I said, I think there's a lot of reasons that it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I love that you point that out because what that really does, that blame, right? You take on the blame from a narcissist, mm-hmm. you then blame yourself, and then that has you spiral into shame, which is like the lowest emotional yeah. vibration, which then kind of makes you feel lost, stuck, like, What's the point? And that that's a really dangerous place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in that, so, I mean, let's maybe backtrack. How did we get here in the first place? Are there certain things that happen? I know I've, there's complexity. Every single person has a different story. But there, there must be a common thread of how did we get stuck with a narcissist in the first place? Yeah. Well, I think... I mean, I think it could honestly happen to anyone. I think that the research used to show that you had to have some history of abuse or neglect or abandonment to to be attracted to that kind of personality. But I think that just based on the the ways in which a narcissist goes about getting you is that it, it could happen to literally anybody. And I've seen that with a lot of people. Like I certainly work with people that don't have abuse in their background and they're like, how did I get here? They're like, I came from a loving home and like my parents so supportive. And but I so I don't I think it's a little bit less of what's going on for us. I mean, I'm sure there's a part of us that feels unloved and that feels like we that we want this to be in a relationship. But I also think that the narcissist and like narcissist by design are sort of designed to get us hooked on something that doesn't exist. So it's like being sold something at the store that is supposed to do this thing and it doesn't, right? So it's like, okay, this pill is going to keep you at exactly the size that you want to be and you're not going to have to work out and your muscles are going to feel tight. And t- like It's like it's in the impossible. And you're like, okay, yeah, I want that. And they're like, fine, just take it for every three months, every day, three months. And then it just like, they're like, oh yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't work anymore after that. It's like once the mask falls off and that perfect person who wanted to show up for you who wanted to be there for you, who wanted to have every conversation, wanted to do all the things. Like narcissists are great at the beginning of a relationship. They really are. They they will charm all your friends and then they can't keep that on for so long. I think I read somewhere it takes 90 days to really get to know someone. And usually it's around that time that we start to see who this person is. But we've just spent three months seeing this other person that we actually really liked and that like, it, I know for me, I always saw it as like, that's who I know they can be. Right. And so then I spent the rest of the relationship trying to get them back to that, which it was fake in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is we believe it's really truly them. The authentic person was the person in the beginning. But no, that was just the, the acting. That was just the facade to kind of hook you in. And as you were talking, I was thinking, it's not like, a normal dating scenario either with a narcissist because they go no. deep end immediately. So they go deep and like, they rush in. Yeah, and so a lot of times they, they seem really interested in you at the beginning. Yeah. That goes away. But they 
they seem so interested in you and your story and what you're doing. And like, you're like, oh my God, he appreciates that I, I do this. And like, he's telling me how great I am and like how amazing it is that I do this. And then that obviously goes away in time with a narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not genuine. They're trying to get something out of that exchange of listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Before we dive into our commercial break, I wanted to share another amazing quote that Jessica posted on Instagram. And if you visit her Instagram page, you'll see this beautiful image of holding on to a, a strand of rope wrapped around the wrist. The hand is red and in pain and the letting go and then the letting go hand. Sometimes holding on does more damage than letting go. I don't know about you, but surviving narcissistic abuse has done a number on my nervous system, anxiety, digestive system, and even getting good sleep. Being an absorbent, highly sensitive person, my muscle tension from repressed anxiety, irritability, and overwhelm are always a constant struggle. And all are side effects of trapped negative emotions in your body. This is why I take Become. I get relief, ease of my digestion, and a deep night's sleep with their research-backed supplements. And you can also, dear empath, you will feel a reduction in anxiety within one week of using Become. Try it now to gain relief of your anxiety and to sleep deeply and regain your calm. There are three pills in each pack. I take two at night for a good night's sleep and the last one with my cup of coffee in the morning for a boost of energy. Try it now to gain relief of your anxiety and to sleep deeply and regain your calm. Use code RAVEN30 for 30% off your first full month at joinbecome.co. The link is in the show notes. When you search Empath and the Narcissist on Amazon for materials to read, what do you find? A whole bunch of pages full of the same title, um, Empath and the Narcissist. Hmm. So how do you determine which book is the one to read? Well, that's up to you. But all I can tell you about my book is it shares snippets of my story of how I didn't always exude confidence. I didn't always have the peace of mind. On the contrary, I emitted a sense of insecurity that was palpable. I people pleased everyone at the expense of my own health. I hated myself and I lashed out when I couldn't take it anymore. And in my book, I relate to you, dear empath, so you can read the words and know that you're not alone. That is the main goal of the book. The second goal of my book is to give you tools that I use to find my strength, to leave the narcissist, and to heal and be on the complete other side of the dark abyss. I am meant to be here on earth to help you heal and transform from your trauma, from being a survivor to a thriver. You gain healing exercises at the end of each chapter. It's a guidebook to heal your childhood trauma. It has effective somatic healing exercises. It has astrology and how to understand and know your true authentic self with a human design chapter, giving you a brief overview of the human design 101. If you wish to feel alive again and take back the power in your life, then scroll up and click the link in the show notes to listen on Audible or buy your hard copy or paperback on Amazon today. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you're gonna be wondering, what exactly does my human design chart 
say about me. Grab your human design unique blueprint reading on a call with me to help you identify how magnificent you are and how unique your energetic blueprint is here and how much you are needed for your impact. That in the link in the show notes at ravenscott.show forward slash shop. So in talking about the difficulty, are there like different attachment styles that I think they, and do they know this? I wonder if like, do they know the different attachments? I, I mean, so every once in a while, I'll be in a conversation with a friend and I'll bring up an attachment style and they look at me like I have seven heads and I'm just like, do you know what they are? And so I if we, there, yeah, there's more than three, but the three that I, that are like, I guess, well-known are anxious, avoidant, and secure. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I actually think that a narcissist is most likely, they come off as avoidant, but what they really are is anxious and they're nowhere near secure. And what I mean by that is that the anxious person, I mean, and so, and the, the person dating the narcissist is also anxious. So Basically, and with anxious attachment style, like you're, it, it can it can feel kind of like codependency, like you're almost regulating yourself off of their attachments or like mm-hmm. how attached you are to them. So if they don't call you, they don't respond. Like you're you're constantly looking for that next validation, and it's it's constant, and you're not proud of it, but you know it's happening, right? And this could also leave people to stay, is because they're like, look at me, I'm crazy, but narcissists by design will act really avoidant until you act avoidant. So. The reason I say that they also have anxious attachment is because they're so rooted in shame. Like we know now that narcissism comes from severe shame that they can't even look at or even know that's there a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're actually very anxious. They come off as very avoidant, very like, I don't care. You called too much. You're doing this too much. But once you flip the script, they act like a textbook anxious person. And they actually, I had a therapist once that said, they need to move from avoidance in like they have to move out of that fake avoidance through their anxiety to actually ever become secure. I remember hearing that feeling like, all right, they're never going to get there. (laughs) I was like that. Okay. Never going to get there. (laughs) But it's like, I think so when we think about attachment styles and if if somebody was to listen to this and then go read about theirs, I would say do it with a lot of grace for yourself that there's a lot of, a lot of aspects in the cycle of abuse with the narcissist that are going to trigger that anxious attachment style for you. But also realize that this person that's probably coming off like they don't care, they do. That's just part of the math that's on. Hmm. Yeah. So the, their avoidance style that they're using, that tactic, the quiet is a tactic. It's not an actual, possibly even attachment. It's just like, this is how I know I can push your buttons by ignoring you because I know that you need me. It's like they know that it, once you're yeah. codependent, you need them game. emotionally. It's totally yeah. a game. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I've worked with a lot of clients that they've pulled back a little bit, right? So once you start seeing the signs when educating yourself, most people start to try and set boundaries, which is incredibly difficult with an abuser. But mm-hmm. they start to try. And then that, that that's why the abuser or the narcissist reacts so much is because like now you're you're setting a healthy boundary, which they're going to perceive as avoidance, and now they're reacting. Which triggers their anxiety and their abandonment issues and not yeah. being able to control you and all this stuff. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Okay, that makes complete sense on my end as far as my experience and and yeah. hearing other people too. Yeah. Thank you for that. What how did you get into this work? What is your story? My story is complicated. So I am one of the people that grew up in an abusive home. So I I grew up in a physically and emotionally abusive home. Like I basically was taught to not value myself. Like anytime I felt good about myself, I was told not to. Like and a lot of physical abuse. And I left when I was 16 and then basically was on like my survival mode for a very long time. And I ended up marrying somebody that I went to high school with that I reconnected with. So it's not like we were like high school sweethearts or something, but he was like the most popular kid in school. Like he was the class president. He was the, he was in my mind, this amazing person. I was like, why is he talking to me? Why is he messaging me? Mm -hmm. And and then, but, and I was like the class reject pretty much because I just, I hated my life and I hated my family and I wanted to get out. And so when he started messaging me, I had him already on a pedestal. He didn't have to put himself there. He was already there. We connected. Mm -hmm. And then I learned that he was an alcoholic. I learned that he had a cocaine issue at one point. He didn't graduate high school. I mean, not high school, college. And I just like, I was like, okay, just like, like just <laughs> let me just put these things aside and like, it's still a good person and like this. And again, I think I went right into seeing his potential. And so yeah. we ended up ha like getting into a relationship and then we ended up getting married. But throughout the, throughout the, even the engagement, I started hearing all these things or all these things started happening where he would like use alcohol or we get into fights and like they would never be resolved. Or like he would say, like, all I want to do is help you and I want to be there for you. But then he it would constantly be getting mad at me for like little things or I just never felt like I was never free, you know, and I wasn't an alcoholic and I was having a really hard time with having to be sober all the time around him when at times I did want to have a glass, a glass of wine. Like it wasn't it just felt very controlled. And then the relapses kept happening and I kept wanting to get out and I kept getting a promise. And so I didn't really start to put together the narcissism threads until after we had our child. And so I got pregnant as a surprise and but I was fine with it because I wanted her and he relapsed within a month. And so I said to myself, I want out like I want out. I'm done. This is like relapse number 15. Yeah. And I him and others convinced me to stay because it was a month after the wedding and I didn't want to. And I did. But I took off the blinders. And so basically from that point until I would say May of the next year, my daughter was born in November. It was miserable. Like I remember there was this one day it was cold and I, I left and took her for a walk. And I think she was like two months old or something. And I remember purposely buying a journal. And like, because I couldn't bring one out, he would have seen it yeah. and bought a pen at CVS hmm. and found a space to in CVS to sit and write. And I wrote, I'm writing that. And I wrote until she started to cry. And when I look back now with all the knowledge that I have, I can see how scared I was, but also how confused I was. And like, I think the first line said something like, I've been miserable for a long time. And that. So I ended up getting into therapy or putting myself into therapy. And basically trying to unpack what was going on. And she was giving me strategies to try and help, like the relationship. Like we ended up getting into couples therapy. We were 
at that point, I don't think we were using babysitters and stuff yet, but we were trying to think about like time together and we moved and we went on a trip. And I like I kept just feeling like I can't do this anymore. Like the, my child wasn't even eight months old. And I wanted I was like, I, I I'm I'm so done now. Mm-hmm. And I like I kept, and I kept telling him that like I kept saying, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And nothing changed. And I was be I, like it was at the point where I was so exhausted and I was so tired and I was the only one waking up in the middle of the night for my daughter. And then he, I remember him saying like, why don't you ever want to spend time with me? And I was like, I can't even see past my own face right now. Like I haven't put on makeup since three months ago. Like I'm working. I was, I was life coaching, but I was life coaching, um, women that are going through quarter life crisis. So I was able to put on my hat for that, but then I was exhausted all other times. I was like, I, I, I I was like, I can't show up for time with you right now. What I need right now is a little bit of space for myself. Like I was, I noticed like, this is all again, in retrospect, I would go out like to say the supermarket or something and I'd come back and I'd sit in my car. And if my daughter was asleep, I would just like read a book and I'd stay around the other, around the block. But it was like, this is what, it's the only time I could have space to breathe. Yeah. And then, uh, and it just, it got worse and worse and worse. And eventually I was like, like, it was so many of those moments of like, I'm going to show up for you and I'm going to be there for you. And then within like a second, it was like, so when are you going to do your fair share of parenting today? And I would be, I'd be like, every single day, like she's been home with me. Like, yeah. You wait a second. Fair share about parenting. I've been the only one waking up in the middle of the night. Well, he also worked, like he worked 10 hour shifts five days a week and he had mm-hmm. to drive there and back. So I was doing the fair share of parenting every day. Mm-hmm. And, the, and so eventually like I left and, but then co-parenting with the toxic person was really challenging. Like a lot of things that were happening weren't making sense. And I found like on the Instagram handle, understanding the narc and then yeah. started making sense. And that was the only profile that was making sense to my situation. Mm. But at that point I didn't even know it wasn't, that this was narcissist. I didn't know it was narcissistic abuse. Yeah. I take a long time off from dating in between. Probably two mm-hmm. years, I didn't even think about a dating app. And then I started to date after a lot of friends were pushing me. And I did, I, I was feeling ready. Like I was like, I'm starting to feel ready to try, but I don't really want to because I was so afraid. Yeah. And then I started to date again. And I had like three boyfriends that were like short-lived because- of a lot of reasons. And then I get into this relationship with somebody who I now see completely love bomb me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But he's like very understanding. He's very suave. We like connect right away. He invites me to meet his family early. He mm-hmm. is, he, he's on the first date. He said, I don't really process my emotions. I just like shove them down and they go away. And I remember sitting there going, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? And then I was like, I'm going to push that out of my head. And then like, Oh, all the red flags are like, yeah. why did I ignore them? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, and now looking back, but like that actually, that, that relationship was very emotionally abusive and Mm -hmm. getting out of it was extremely toxic and it was really hard to heal from Mm -hmm. because I was also co-parenting with this other or co-parenting with this other person. You've got two of them in your life now. Yeah. Yeah. I want to point out that the narcissist will say things in arrogance and joke like oh i was just joking but they'll yeah. they'll say some really truthful things that reveal their true character so 
never I would say when anyone's joking like that's the truth like yeah totally evaluate what they say everything they say is the truth that yeah. sounds off you're like oh that's a funny joke not funny like just- yeah like there's a lot of times looking back at the beginning that I wish I was like okay like internal filing cabinet but I was actually just really happy to connect with somebody because I the other the other guys were a little immature and this guy wasn't mm-hmm. and then but as time went on and I started to see the threads together because you can't have this other marriage, this experience, and then have this one. And like I had been married. I, I coach a lot of people on relationships. At this point, I was coaching people on toxic relationships. And he would tell me that I don't know how to communicate. And I'd be like, I communicate all day. Like, and no one in my life feels that way about me, like the mm-hmm. people that know me. Mm-hmm. And so Getting out of that relationship took a long time and it was very difficult. I definitely was in that self-blame game that I talked about earlier of like, it must be me. I must be crazy. And then that actually like by, but that point I had so much more knowledge because then I was like, okay, this is a pattern. I've seen this pattern and now it's time for me to learn more about this pattern. That's exactly what my stepfather was like too. And so I put myself in the knowledge and then entered Caroline Strassen's trauma-informed narcissistic abuse coaching program that mm. was designed to educate you on how to coach people on who are going through narcissistic abuse through a trauma-informed lens. And so that opened up like my whole world. And because I, I was because I was so obsessed with it when I was learning about it that I was like, mm. I want to keep doing this. And this right. is the work that I want to do. And I just want to help former me is like, if I had somebody when I was married say, this is what's going on, like, and here are the signs, like healthy relationships will not leave you driving around the block and parking, listening to an audiobook just because that's the only time you're going to get peace. If somebody had said that, that is not good, then my ears would have perked up a bit because I know what abuse is. I went through it. And so yeah. when I started noticing the threads, but having such a strong trauma bond and not feeling like I could leave, I put myself so far deep into the knowledge of it. And I'm currently in Tina Swithin's high conflict divorce program, which is in eight weeks. Well, I have four four left, but that will certify me to help with former me's in the family court system because, yeah, but I just, yeah, I don't know. That's the way I think about it is like the reason I'm here is because I know how hard it is. So when a client comes and says like, I feel like I'm backtracking or I just, I sent him a text or like, I just don't understand. It's like, yeah, I have said all those things. Mm -hmm. so I can be with them in the fire as well and yeah and then you can reassure them that they don't need to get closure like they can get closure other ways they don't need to communicate and open up that door and all the things that just kind of keep you vulnerable to being hoovered back in or abused again Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so all of us are listening we're so intrigued and and really sorry that you had to go through that, but I know they relate because usually it's not just one relationship that we experience. It's, it's multiple and it's a pattern and narcissists have many shapes and forms. Like you said, that other one was more covert and emotional and the Mm -hmm. the first one was pretty overt and immature. So how does someone listening, like a sensitive person, how do they break up consciously with this person they feel stuck with? I think that the first step is the education because that's going to give you the confidence that you're not crazy. Mm-hmm. I I definitely feel like I am 
like a highly sensitive person as defined, like I forgot the name of the author, but I definitely am on the sensitive side. And, and I think that that actually leads me to draw inward or into self-blame a lot. So instead of thinking that this is a pattern, this is an issue, if someone tells me that I am awful, I'm going to believe that I'm awful until, and now that, that muscle is much stronger. But especially then when somebody says like, this is what you're doing and it's hurting me, I'm so empathetic that I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Oh my God, I don't want to hurt you. I, my daughter's six now. And if she says like any, like, I mean, of course she's gonna be like, mommy's mean if I don't give her like a cookie. But like, there are times <laughs> where she say like, you promise and you hurt my feelings. And I just like, my guts are ripped out, you know? Yeah. And I think that when we're going in this, like nothing is ever, a narcissist will never take accountability. So the, I think the education is important to help you ungaslight yourself when you're getting yourself to this place of leaving. I know that for me, I needed to educate myself about what was happening. So I, I knew every term that when I started to see what was happening, I knew what gray rock was. I knew what boundaries were and I was failing at them for a while. And then I started to see, okay, I need to pull my, I need to create space. That's the first thing I need to do because then I can think for myself because when you're in the cycle, you're not thinking clearly. Like you're probably most likely in your trauma response brain. You're not yeah. in the rational thinking because you're so dysregulated. Looking back, me sitting in my car was my way to regulate myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that then. I had no idea. I didn't know that until last week when I was reading something and I made, I connected that. But so we need to have some space. We need to regulate ourselves. And then mm -hmm. I think beginning to set boundaries on what you accept and don't accept anymore. And my formula for boundaries is that if you don't remove yourself from the harm, you don't have a boundary. So, for example, if you say, don't yell at me and they yell and you, it's like, well, don't yell at me. And then they yell again. If you don't leave or if you don't have a boundary of like, I'm leaving the room, I'm leaving the house, I'm going to my mom's house, I'm staying at this hotel. I mean, it's different for everybody in every circumstance, but that's something that I think like I'm using yelling, but we can do that for anything. If you watch yeah. the camera, if I find out that you were watching the cameras when I was home, I'm unplugging the cameras. Like you need to remove the harm. And then by the, by the time you're getting to that point, you're most likely preparing to leave. And so I would figure out money. If you're married, I'd go have a consult with a lawyer and figure out what you need to do to protect yourself, what documentation you need to be taking, understanding custody if you have a kid and what that looks like. I would, and I would just start really noting down what's happening so that when you have that cognitive dissonance come in when you leave or when you're trying to leave and you're like, but they're going to be great, but they're going to change. Have a list of what has actually happened because those are just words. Yes. They're words. They're yeah. not actions. And it takes so much for an abuser to change. Like, it, like they literally have to change the way that they think. And if you think about how hard it is for you to change how you think, imagine what you're going to think about, like how, how hard it'll be for them. Like, yeah. And there has to be motivation for them to change in the first place. And, right. And that's not really why you're leaving. You're leaving for your safety. You're leaving because you are worth more. You are leaving for, let's say, your children's safety. And that's just like an extra, extra effect. Like as a sensitive, you're like, oh, but I, I don't want them to be lost or be in agony that I've left. And you think about them as a little child. I'm going to trigger their abandonment issue. I would just say that that's their problem. That's not a your problem. That's their journey. If they want to get help, they will get help. But that's not your yeah. job to do. 
Yeah. I was afraid that my ex was going to go right back to alcohol. That made mm. me stay for probably mm. six months longer than I wanted to. I was like mm. convinced. And then I just, I was like, you know what? I've told everybody. I've told his family. I told countless people that I didn't want to do this anymore. I'm one panic attack away from probably like pulling my hair out. I am. I'm done. Yeah. And his family can be there for him if he needs it, you know? Yeah. And if he's sober, he can see my kid. He can see our kid. That's how, mm-hmm. that's how I was thinking about it. Like, I'm not going to ever take my child away, away, but his sobriety is on him as it's always been. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you have children in the mix, you have to think of their safety first. Not if this person is, they're an adult, even though they're acting like a child, they are still an adult and they need to grow up and mm-hmm. own their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I love all those tips. I think they're really important. Identifying, being aware. I And I also love like getting a plan together. Oh, I love I'm a planner. So you always have getting your plan together because if, especially if you have custody, you may think, oh, it'll be fine. Like we won't ever end up in court. Like never think that, that will, that can always happen. So make sure you, you will. And you probably it. always will end yeah. up in court. So document <laughs> that you will. Yeah. Um, and a one hang up that comes up a lot is finance. Like people will say like, well, I don't have money or, or this mm. or that. I'll say, I'll say like find ways to make money. Let's like, we can either find ways to make money. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways we can do that. Or you could start getting like, do, if you got donations from people in your life and they just Venmo'd it to you, like there's a lot of creative ways we can do it just to get you out to a safer place. And then where we can work on the money thing. But don't, I, I always say like, don't let money be the hang up. But I also never put myself in a position where money would be my hang. And that mm-hmm. does, I think, come up from my upbringing of having to be like in survival mode. Right. I never relied on him for money. I had in fact made more money than he did, but it was just important for me. And it still is like I have money. And even for my daughter, like she, I donate to an account every week so that if she ever is in a tough position or any position, she has this little pile of money that she will protect her. And I think that's just always been my mindset. Yeah. And so when I have a client and say they're in the middle of the relationship and they don't know what they want to do, that is something I advocate for a lot is like, I really think you should find ways to make your own money, even if it is just waitressing two nights a week or something like that. Just mm-hmm. just start putting it away and have your own sense of security. Always, always. I remember my mom always telling me that as a child. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about because I was always taken care of. And then when you find yourself in that situation... Yeah. Where I was the same. I had a corporate job, so I had money. I had no problem leaving with the financial. But yeah, there's a story I was watching, actually, a documentary on Netflix. I think it was called Coming Home, and it was about homelessness on the West Coast. And I live on the West Coast. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. intrigued. Yeah. But it was a story. I mean, and this could happen to anyone. It is a horrific story, but it's this woman who her ex banged in the door, you know, pistol whipped her and raped her. And she was reliant on him for money. She didn't have her own job. She had two other kids. He got her pregnant. And she w- she ended up homeless, like having to go to a shelter. And it-, it was just awful to hear her story. And it wasn't like a nice shelter. It was just like mats on the floor in a gymnasium. And they booted them out at like 6.30 a.m. And so she had to right. wander 
the streets and wait for the library to open so she knew her kids could go into the library and be safe. And these things can happen. So it's always important to make sure you have a financial plan. Even yeah. if you're in the beginning stages, if you're single, if you're in stage you are. Yeah, you're right. That Having that financial is so important. Yeah. So I love your ideas too, because some people get stuck on like, oh, well, I don't have qualifications or I don't know what kind of job to get, or you have little ones and I can't get a full-time job because I have to pay for daycare. So I love your creative ideas about bring, uh, drumming up some money to get you out. Yeah. And I, I forgot where I saw it posted, but this was online somewhere. And it was just, it was like, I'm pretty sure it was a YouTube video. And it was like, there are 10 jobs that you can do from your home to start making money. And it was like little, like little actual, like, and they were actual jobs. Like it was like, you can do data entry and it's $10 an hour or whatever it is. And I, I just think that's so, but it's just so important to know that those are out there. Yeah. And you can give it a, and you can give it a shot, especially now post COVID. You can do a lot of things remotely. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So what is the number one advice that you wish for our empaths to hear when you are at your lowest? I think it is to remember, like, remember who you were before all of this. I always say that when I'm at my lowest, I always end up going back to the same person I was before like I have always been intrigued by like spirit like spirituality and I believe in like crystals when I have like these intention setting candles and I like to meditate when I yeah. sage my house constantly you know like that's really who I am at my core I'm also a learner and very active and these other things but mm -hmm. I'd some, I think that in my lowest moments I would forget that and I would think it doesn't work or I think it doesn't matter but like or like a even like tarot cards or things like that, like those little pieces of me, I are they've always been there. I'm about to be 36. I, since I've been 14, these have all been parts of my life. And mm -hmm. I just think we're just going back to some of those roots, even if it is as simple as like going to the crystal store and picking out a crystal that really like helps you feel calm or that you really like or is really beautiful. Just remembering who that person was and you might even jot down a few notes about her because I think it can feel like when you're in that panic attack or that, uh, that like that really dark cycle that this is who I am now. This is who this person created. And that's not true. And I've watched mm -hmm. that. I've watched that person come back and like you can be that person you were before or you could be a new person if you want to be like you get to decide. Like I definitely am a new person, but I have a lot of elements of who I used to be before, mm -hmm. but I've taken on new ones. Like I'm definitely more bolder. Like I have a giant mouth, which I've always had, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm from New York, so it's like I'm very loud. But like I've also, there's other parts of me that I've taken. I've always been so comfortable being alone. Like I, that's my favorite space. And I think remembering those parts and even if they're only coming up in like little tidbits, you could still capture them at times and just remember mm. that she didn't go away. She's just tired right now. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you for that so empowering. Absolutely. So share with us your work. You already sh shared a bit about how you have certifications and yeah. if you have anything to share with our audience, anything free. Yeah. So I, I won't touch on the certifications just because I went on them, but my yeah. website is emotionalabusecoach.com. I work with mm. mostly women in healing from 
narcissistic and emotionally abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. I might mainly work one-on-one with people, but I do have one group option right now. But the majority of my work is and has been one-on-one and it's highly personalized to your situation. Once I'm done with this divorce coaching certification, I'll probably do some consults or offer consults, like one-offs on my website for specifically if you're going through a divorce with a toxic, highly toxic person. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a podcast called The Relationship Recovery Podcast where I do interview guests, but I also do episodes on different topics. Usually I form an episode based on the topic that's coming up most in my session. So Mm -hmm. currently the one that comes out tomorrow is about signs of trauma bonds and how to know that you're in one. Um, there is, so like I said before, in leaving a narcissist, about setting boundaries is the most, one of the most important things to be able to set, create that space. Yeah. And so I created a series of canned responses to use if to diffuse conflict in communication. And that's a freebie that's on my website. You just go and put your email and you get the download. It's a PDF. But I think it's really useful for just beginning to start like to create that space, but to have some words to use that don't allow them, that, that just don't continue into that argument. Like they're not feeling based. <laughs> yeah. They are, they're boundary based. Ooh, those are good. I know we're always looking for good tools. So that, where can we, where can we get that? I'm at emotionalabusecoach.com. There'll be okay. a little pop-up that comes up. Okay, perfect. Yes. We need all those phrases. So go grab yeah. those phrases, you guys. I mean, I think we even need them in just our everyday situations, <laughs> not just with narcissists. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so good. Oh, thank you so much, Jessica. This has been amazing. I know breaking up with the narcissist is so difficult, so complex, and usually on average it takes seven times. Am I right? That's how yeah. many yeah. times it took me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. These are all really beautiful tools and I really appreciate the tips. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Good stuff. I'm so grateful to have Jessica on the show and I hope that you learned something and enjoyed the show as well. We learned about the attachment styles of narcissist abuse. We learned about some of the signs that you're not in a healthy relationship. We learned some tips on how to break up with a narcissist and so much more. Join our empath community who are healing, gaining clarity, and regaining their authentic power back and receive weekly inspiration and strategies straight to your inbox to heal from narcissistic abuse and rewrite your story knowing your unique human design energy blueprint. The link to sign up to the newsletter is in the show notes. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and you may hear your name on a shout out here on the podcast. I know if you're listening to this, you don't have to imagine coming to the realization that the person you are married to is neither capable or has a desire to love you. This is why you found me. I remember though, when I left my narcissist, that I felt so lost and alone and at the same time, very empowered. It's really a matter of who you surround yourself. And we are not meant to go through these extreme hard times alone. We are meant to heal in community, in ritual and in circles, to have people pull us out of the quicksand that we're stuck in. If you are ready to dive into discovering your authentic self through human design and heal in community through education and support in a safe group coaching environment, then it's time for you to join the Empath Healing Membership. We are an uplifting community of like-minded empaths on a similar healing journey. You will gain 
access to monthly healing circles and weekly Q&A events with a vast and growing library of narc abuse education, healing meditations, and human design. If you are ready to discover how unique you are through your human design chart, overcome the pain of your past from narcissistic abuse, and transform from codependent to rockstar warrior, then dive into the membership today. It will rock your world and bring new light to the fog the narcissist has placed over you. I'm so excited to see you subscribe and in the heart-centered empath healing community. As a sampler, hop into the free empath healing support Facebook community and join the discussion on this episode's topic today and look out for the live Q&A events there every Friday. Click the link in the show notes. I'm so grateful for you listening, finding the show and sharing it with your friends. It would give a great boost in the heart-centered algorithm to rate and review this podcast if you are enjoying it. Take a screenshot, share it on your socials, share it in a text message to a friend that you know right now needs to be pulled out of the quicksand. And remember, always keep your unique light shining. I just wanna make it last Try to let go of the past I close my eyes, embrace the blast Sleepless nights and headaches stack Restlessness to hell and back What's my purpose, what do I grab? A slippery surface, a heart attack And sometimes you just gotta believe There's something that'll give you relief There's something that'll have what you need What you need we're broken, it's tragic, we're not all elastic, but maybe there's magic, believe you.